There are moments in life where sometimes you just have to draw a line. And there was that moment in my life this week where I'm like, I need to take a stand here. I saw that the Tropicana Corporation was making a new cereal called Tropicana Crunch. And Tropicana Crunch was designed so that you would use the Tropicana orange juice and pour it on top of your cereal. Instead of using milk, you use orange juice. I don't think that anybody wants to get up in the morning and just have crunchy orange juice cereal for and then I imagine what if you had that pulp orange juice I'm like this is just revolting nobody wants this so for me it was a time to draw a line in the sand and that happens to us as we go through some of the generalities of life but also more importantly that happens for us as believers in Jesus Christ as God's children as we live in this world of sin and darkness that there are places where we need to say that's enough we're drawing a line right here this is where we are taking our stand and the reason for that is by nature of who we are all right this goes to our identity of who we are in the new testament the bible refers to us as the ecclesia the ecclesia we uh, interpret that word as church and notice in this definition that the church is not a building but rather the ecclesia are those who are called out what are we called out of we are called out of the world we are called out of sin and darkness and we are then set apart from our Oil your life. 
and water in this world today. Oil and water. It was Jesus who said in John 16, 33, they that do not here on the earth, they are, you are going to have many trials. Why? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, got news for you, Timothy, they're going to be persecuted. Why? Because there's this inherent conflict between who we are at the core of our identity and this world that we live in. And we see this conflict come into reality in our Bible reading today as we have been turning and looking at the book of Daniel to recognize how do we live in this world today? Just as Daniel and his friends were taken to live in Babylon in that day, in a place that was far from home, in a place that was without uh, a godly culture, and they were plunked down there, they had to learn to navigate in Babylon. How can we live in our culture today? What we see in our account today from Daniel 3 is we learn that there are just a few, there are uh, probably three, I'm going to say, there are three important stances uh, three important qualities to our stance that we need to take as we choose to take a stand in this world. So if you can turn to Daniel chapter 3, and just by way of context, remember that we have Daniel and we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were taken out of Israel, uh, out of Judah, as they were conquered by the Babylonians. And then they were taken in exile, uh, 900 miles away, a, probably a, a four-month journey for them, into this land of Babylon, which was uh, the sin city of the day. It's where all the culture, it's where all the pagan uh, practices were of this day, and there they lived in Babylon. And they were under the reign of a uh, sadistic and mentally deranged king called Nebuchadnezzar and he was forcing them to fit into his reculturation program to train these young men to think like Babylonians to act like Babylonians to worship the gods of Babylon uh, to be everything that a good Babylonian would be and then he was going to send them back to lead in those ways and here they are in this culture trying to stand for God Here's what we read in Daniel chapter 3. Perhaps a very famous passage for all of us here today. Daniel 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials 
assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So what we see here right away is Nebuchadnezzar, just as we make our way through this passage, is that he made an idol. He made an idol. It was 90 feet tall. It was 9 feet wide. It was a monstrosity of an idol sitting out there in what they call the Plains of Dura. That was just outside the, the city of Babylon, out there where, where the statue was erected. And the statue, maybe it was the same statue that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream in chapter 2, verse 31. You can see that he had a dream of a statue. Maybe he rebuilt that statue. Or some commentators think that it was made to the god Nebu, where Nebuchadnezzar gets his name from. We don't exactly know. But he makes it, and he brings every government official. That's what that list is there for. You just want to know that every government official in the land, all the satraps, the prefects, the advisors, the treasurers, you can see on this list here, that all of them are all of them are the government officials. So that's what they want to say here, that it's the totality of government. Nebuchadnezzar said, you're showing up, you're coming to the dedication of this idol because this is a great thing in the life of Babylon. Here is my idol. And as the story continues, it says, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So there's the new law of the land. We're gonna, the band's going to break out. You're going to hear the orchestra play. When we all hear the music, Everybody shows up. All the musicians are called. All of them are going to come. All of them are going to play. When that music plays, you stop what you're doing. You come to the plane here, and you bow down and worship this God. That's the new rule of the land. And if you don't, you're, you're going in the fiery furnace. And that was, it was actually something that they used in this ancient time to execute people. It would be a furnace. Most of these furnaces were used for smelting like gold and uh, iron and, and silver, much like a refiner's fire. And so you can see this picture of a, a kiln here, which shows uh, this was maybe one. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't have the right one up there. There it is. Uh, a picture. This is one. This is a remnant of a furnace, uh, more likely from that era. And sometimes they think there was a door on the top where you could load things down, but we also know from our reading that there was a gate like this in the front where you could look into it. And perhaps this one was built out there on the plains of Dura because they had to make a lot of gold, right, to cover this statue. And so there was the furnace. And if you are not going to bow down to it, well, here's the simple rule. In the furnace you go. That's it. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is the new rhythm of the people. Imagine every time, you know, like we hear that uh, tornado thing going off 
once a month. We hear it going off. Imagine every time that goes off, you gotta like get in your car, you gotta go, you had to show up at Fifth Third Ballpark, get down on your knees, and bow before a statue. That was required. And if they happened to catch you just wandering around and not there, you were gonna be punished. This was the new rhythm of God's people, uh, not of God's people, but of the people of Babylon and what they had to do. But there is a problem which we can see in this picture, and it is this. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. That word for astrologers, you may have a note in your Bible, also says Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were a group of people who lived in the southeast portion of Babylon, and they were actually uh, they were known for their intellect and for their, their uh, study of the stars and heavens, and that's why they were part of the council of King Nebuchadnezzar, because he wanted all these wise people around him to be able to interpret everything. So we have these Chaldeans there, they came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever, as they kiss up to him. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But, mm, we got a problem. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They are neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down. They do not worship. And the Chaldeans make sure that the king knows. Why? Probably because they're a little envious. Because remember where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from? They came from Israel. They were the foreigners. They were brought in. But because of the great thing, because of their obedience to God, God continued to bless them. They made their way up in the rank in the, the king's court there. And now they were put over other officials. And so now they're over top of these local people. And I think there's a little animosity going around. So the first chance they get... They go tell daddy what the little boys are doing and gets them in trouble. Nebuchadnezzar, who was ever the stable man, we read in verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. I expect your obedience. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He challenges them, right? Like a narcissist. <laughs> Like most of the leaders that lived here in Mesopotamia, they thought it was all about them. And so he just blows off and he issues this decree and uh, he, he, he gives them this uh, ultimatum. So what are they going to do? Well, they respond quite confidently. And verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, you asked us who will save us, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it, your majesty, from your majesty's hand. But 
even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Calmly, politely, straight to the fact, they just tell the king the facts. And we know how King Nebuchadnezzar responds. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Okay, that's just not even possible. But you can imagine him in such a rage. Seven times hotter than usual! I mean, these things ran at like 1,700 uh, degrees, and the most you maybe could get it was maybe double, but there's no way you could ever get this thing to seven times hotter! But this guy, he's, he's angry, right? He's going off. And, uh, and commanded some of the strongest shoulders, soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. That's significant, because usually they took the time to undress the people, put them in chains, throw them into the furnace. The king is so outraged that they are defying him. They're taking him right at this moment, fully dressed. He doesn't care. He's going nuts, and he's throwing them into the fiery furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Uh-oh. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, as, peer, as obviously he's spectating through the little window to see what happens. He's waiting for them to burn up. And he asked his advisors, weren't three men that we tied up and thrown into the furnace? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see these four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the sons of gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And in a great moment, really understated, isn't it? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That's astonishing to anyone who's ever made s'mores around a campfire. <laughs> <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Okay. Therefore, I decree, Nebuchadnezzar, a little unhinged, but at least he's coming over to the right side a little bit. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's, we'll cut them into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, we turn our hearts to your word. We thank you for it, and may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, and in our believing, and in our living. Amen. I want to point out uh, quickly here, just three, three uh, points that I see here in this passage about how it is when we decide that we need to take a stand in this world, 
What are those characteristics? And I see them lived out here by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who clearly had to make a stand. And the reason they had to make a stand is because of the first point that I think we need to make, is that their stand was demarked by God's truth. Their stand was demarked by God's truth. Now the text does not expressly say the reason that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, took their stand, uh, but clearly they knew they could not fall down and worship these gods of Babylon and the god that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And if I think about these three young men and why they would not do that, I believe it's because they had the truth of God implanted in their lives and in their hearts. Remember that they came from Judah, and they came from, as good Jews, they would have been immersed in the Torah from very young ages. They would have memorized the first five books of our Bible. They would have known the laws of God inside and out. They would have memorized it. They would have meditated it. We see that they have the habits of following God as we see Daniel later on, continuing to pray three times a day. I can imagine these three young men as they're growing up, all the times that their parents took them to the festivals of faith to remember the Passover, to remember when they were out in the desert, to remember God and who he was and how he provided. I believe that they had a faith that was deep and that was strong, and certainly that these two guys knew the commandment of God that you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not bow down to them or make any graven image to them. They held this in their heart. And when Nebuchadnezzar said, you need to do this, they're like, no, this is where we need to make a stand. And I think that's true for us as well, as we live and navigate in this world, the place that we mark to take our stand has to be rooted in the truth of God. We live by the truth of God, and what we find in the scriptures right here is the revelation of God. This is where God reveals himself. He reveals his ways. He reveals his thoughts. He reveals to us, as the great confessions say, everything that we need to know for life and faith. And when we run into an obstacle between what God has declared in his word and what the world is asking us to do, we take up the same mentality as the apostle Peter who said, well, we have to serve God rather than we serve men. That's where we make the mark. That's where we draw the line in the sand as if it goes against exactly what God has said to us. What guides us in deciding where we make our stand is not what is popular, not what's the popular opinion, it's not what is the political opinion of the day, it's not what my emotions think, it's not how I feel, it's not your truth, it's not my truth, it's the truth of God. And that's where we make our stand. And that's exactly what Paul told us. He says, as you live in this world where you're battling against the powers and principalities of evil that are opposed to God, he says, what you do is you stand. And how do you stand? You put on the belt of truth. And that's what you stand on, the belt of truth. And that belt of truth is God's word. Because God's ways lead to what's right. God's ways lead to what brings life. And that's what we stand on. We put on that belt of truth. Unfortunately, many in the church today 
Don't put on that belt of truth. Many don't even know how to find a belt of truth, to be honest. Research shows that um, most church-going folks will say that they uh, only about one-third say that they read the Bible every day. And we expect that that statistic is inflated because nobody really wants to look bad on a survey. That means almost two-thirds of God's kingdom, two-thirds of those claiming allegiance to Jesus Christ, to walk in the will and ways of God, to stand for his truth, do not know his truth, couldn't declare his truth, wouldn't know if they were being pushed off from his truth. And so instead, we listen to the things of the world. In another place in scriptures it says, they listen to what their itching ears want to tell them. And so then we absorb that and we go, well, that must be truth. But the apostle Paul tells us, no, put on the belt of truth. Look what he says in Ephesians 4. I think that's where I have it, Ephesians 4, 14. He's talking, this is just prior to when he tells us to put on the belt. Ephesians 4, 14. Paul says, we need to no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by, every and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's what's out there in the world. And many of us hear it. We read it. We see it tweeted. And we just absorb it as truth. Because everybody else is doing it. But that's not how we live. Our truth is defined by God and by God alone. And we're told to put on this belt of truth. And we need to take every teaching that we hear and we need to be like the, the Bereans. You can read about them in Acts 17, 11. Acts 17, 11. The Bereans are a group of people who are new to the faith. And this is what, <coughs> excuse me, this is what it says about them in Acts 17, 11. It says, when they received the word, they took the message with great eagerness and then examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That needs to be our position. We hear it. It's given to us. We evaluate it against the truth of God. And if it is God's truth, we put that truth on and we don't move from it. Friends, there's going to be a lot. There's a, there's a lot of wacky teaching in our world today. There, there's a lot of wacky teaching in the church today. And we need to be people who know that truth. One of the things that makes me most sad is that I, I've had individuals here from Orchard Hill say to me, well, Pastor Bob, I'm going to leave Orchard Hill. And I'm like, why? And they go, well, I don't believe what you're teaching. I'm like, well, what don't you believe? Well, I just don't, I just don't believe this. And I will say, well, what am I teaching and, and how is it not in God's word? Well, uh, you know, that's what you believe. I'm just going to go to another church that believes this. And how sad that is. And I'm, I say that, I say, no, look for yourself. Look in God's word. Look what it says. And if what we're teaching aligns with God's truth, then that's where you want to be. But if this community over here is teaching something that is not aligned with God's truth, you got to get out of there. And Paul talked about it. It was in his day too. 
People hearing what their itching ears wanted to hear. Teachers trying to deceive and move this way and that way. He talked about it, and it's true in our world today, too, that there are many that are dressed up. They're dressed up in, in, in lamb's clothes, and they're teaching the community of faith, but they're not teaching the truth. They're wolves instead. And so, people of God, we need to be in the Word. We need to know the truth. And when we hear that truth, we take a stand. That demarks where we stand. The second thing that I see in this, this story is that it was anchored, when they took their stand, it was anchored in their trust of God. It was an incredible trust of God. But go back to Daniel, you remember what they said to them? They declared that we have this trust in God, we trust in the power of God, we're going we're gonna to make this stand. You can throw us in the furnace if you want, Nebuchadnezzar, because we know this one thing, our God can rescue us. He can do it. He can take us right out of the fire. And if he doesn't, we're also not going to, we're going to trust in the power of God, but we're going to trust in the purposes of God because he's going to continue. He's going to do it. He will take it out and we will align our lives and our hearts with our God because we know this about our God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is running everything according to his purposes and our God will do what is right and what is just by our obedience. But we will be obedient to him. And friends, that's the same position that we need to take. When we take a stand, where do we anchor it? We anchor it in our trust of God. We anchor it in our trust of God. And I love their trust in God, that they just confidently said, this is who he is. We know it. This is what God will do. So Nebuchadnezzar, we can't. I love that about them. I was thinking, and that's the confidence that we need to have. I, it made me think back to uh, the days when I was in high school and college and I was able, uh, and I was wrestling, and you'd always have that moment where they would introduce the two wrestlers together, and there was always these guys who were all intense, and they would just run across the mat, they'd run across the mat and shake their hand, like, yeah, I'm going to take you down. And I developed a different strategy because uh, I chose, when my name was announced, to walk as slow as I could as confidently as I could, as arrogantly as I could, like, you're going to be destroyed in just a matter of time. I'm going to do it to you. And I would walk as slow as I could and then put my hand out just like this, like a gentleman, and just look him in the eye and go, good luck, and smile. That was my strategy. I was, tr I was trying to exude extreme confidence. Now, I was not a state champion, so it did not work every time. <laughs> it did not work every time. But in that moment, I was trying to, that was the confidence that I was trying to express. And I see, I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing the same thing. We don't have to get worked up. We don't have to yell at you. We don't have to get out here and pick it in front of your palace, king. We're just telling you straight up, because this is my confidence. This is what I know to be true. God's going to do this. And that's what we need to anchor our stand in, in the truth of who God is and what God is going to do. That when I, when I make a stand, I know God will deliver. You see, the number one thing that the enemy does to work against us is put fear into our hearts and lies, doesn't he? I'm in lies. I'm, gonna, I'm going to take a stand, and he's going to put fear and lies into my head to convince me I'm making the wrong stand, to convince me that God will not save me, to convince me that I'm on the wrong side of history, 
to convince me of all kinds of messages that the world is throwing at me, but instead we need to listen to our God who stood and he said to Joshua in the day, he said, be strong and courageous. He said, be strong and courageous. Because the battle belongs to who? The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when I stand here, and I'm standing against the world, I'm standing for what's true and right, which is not going to be what the world certainly, because I'm in conflict. Remember, I'm in conflict with the world. So my stand, I'm going to get just, I'm going to get hammered. I'm going to get pushed. I'm going to get shoved against. But I know, without a doubt, that the battle belongs to the Lord. And how do I know that? Because the cross tells me that God was faithful and he sent his son to do what he told his people he was going to do. And then he raised Jesus from the world that can defeat the power of God. And I know God is faithful. I know he has the power. And I'm going to stand right here. And I'm going to stand on that. Because as Paul mentions in the scriptures, he says, you know what? What can separate us from the love of God? Can famine, can sword? Uh, He goes down a list of everything that we would put in our heads of being bad things to experience here on earth. And at the end of the day, he says, nothing separates you from the love of God. I'm standing here. Everybody else may be against me. But who's for me? God. And I'm standing on his truth. And I know in the end, I win. So I'm shaking hands and saying, here's where I'm staying. Because I'm the winner here. And the last thing that I see here in their lives is that they took the stand, and when we take a stand, it needs to result in God's glory. It needs to result in God's glory. Now, to be honest, this, this just skates in here, right? The fire did not hurt them. They get out. Nebuchadnezzar goes a little extreme. He didn't believe in God. Now I'm going to believe in God, and I want everybody else to believe in God, and if you don't, well, we're going to chop you up and tear your house down. Um, so it's a, it's a little iffy there about that. But God is getting praise, right? And, and uh, that is an evangelism strategy that Laura is working on in this next year, that, that we are going to go out into our communities, and if you don't believe in God, we're, we're, it's a little aggressive maybe, uh, but, but uh, we're, it's something worth trying because it's just in the Bible, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to take that clip and just put it out there in, in webland, and I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, so it's the praise of God that we see resulted from their stand. And, and yes, it's, yes, it's a little iffy, the stand that Nebuchadnezzar takes, but if they hadn't, if they had caved in, if they just bent the knee, what praise and glory would God have gotten out of this situation? And I would say none. And that's what we need to consider when we take a stand. I take this stand, it's not for my agenda. I don't take this stand for my political party. I don't take this stand because it's going to increase my brand. I don't take this stand for any other purpose than I am here to stand on the truth and be obedient because when I know I'm obedient, God will get the glory. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to glorify God. And that word glorify means kind of like to shine a light on God. Think of those times where you go to a 
uh, a museum or something like that, and you're always like, oh, I wonder where this important artifact is. And it'll be like, boom, the light will be shining right on it. There it is. This is what we don't want you to miss. And that's our stance. When we're obedient, we light up. And we shine a light on the glory of God. When I'm obedient and I take a stand against abortion, I shine a light on a God who is the giver of life. When I'm obedient and I take a stand uh, against the, the gender nonsense that's going on in the world today, I shine a light on the glory of God who created male and female in his image and gave them both unique and valuable things to do in the world. When I take a, a stand against the unethical practices in my workplace, I shine a light on a God who is integrity and truth. When I take a stand in my media choices, I, I, I shine a light on a God who is, is righteous. When I take a stand in my sexuality choices to honor God with my body, I shine a light on a God who is pure. And that's who we're, who we're called to be. We are to do all things for the glory of God. We are to be light on a hill. And we do it when we're obedient to God and to his word. And we shine glory on him. And that's the only reason we take the stand. To shine a light on God. To declare God's glory and God's purposes. And if we're taking that stand for any other reason, then we need to second guess. And we need to ask ourselves, am I doing it from selfish motives? from impure motives, from wrong motives. It needs to be a stand that we do for the glory of God. My guess this week, as we head out into this world, is you're not going to be asked to bow down to a 90-foot statue. I, I may be surprised. Nothing surprises me in this world today. Maybe you will, but I'm guessing you won't. But as you do go out in this world, I do know this, that the world's going to be pushing against you because it's a world of darkness and sin and we're, we live out the righteousness and holiness of God. And in those moments as you face those many idols that are going to ask for you to kneel, for you to bow, for you to worship, I just ask you to measure it against the truth of God's word. Put that belt on. How does this measure against the truth of God's word? And then take that bold stand knowing that God is with you as you stand boldly there for his will and his purposes in this world. And then in everything you do, do it with peace and let God's glory shine through you. That's the way that we live in Babylon, Orchard Hill. And may we go and do it well this week. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this example that you preserved here of these young men um, and, and, and we just, uh, just are so grateful for the, the hard choices that they made and that, that we're able to, to relive their story and see that their story is our story today. God, that really the way of living in this world really doesn't change. And God, we ask that we would be as faithful as they were. And so right now, if there's a place in our life, if there's messages we are listening to, if there's activities we're involved in, there's habits that we've embraced, God, if there are places that we need to stand against that we would be we would have the boldness to do that in this day god would you empower us by your spirit and would you help us help us when we get thrown into that furnace and help us when we find ourselves in that fight to stand boldly and courageously for you we pray these things in jesus name 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.